The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, the podcast that takes you on an exhilarating journey through the captivating realm of custom technology. Don't miss out on this thrilling auditory expedition into the mesmerizing world of custom technology. Welcome to The Sound of Design with Mark and Dan, and thank you very much for uh, joining us today. I'm very excited as I usually am, because today we are going to talk about <laughs> two-channel audio. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I was I was yes. hoping for a woo, but I guess we didn't get a woo. Woo! There it is. That's what I wanted to hear. Now I need <laughs> I need to get a, a sound effect for it. I guess. Sorry. Well, if you want, I'll make it in, into a more elaborate thing. If you want, that's woo. woo! <laughs> So, uh, two-channel, stereo, listening to music, that is what today is all about. And no matter what you call it, um, if you are an audiophile, if you are uh, just somebody who likes music and, you know, you listen on your phone and you have a little solo cup as your speaker, uh, we're going to talk about (laughs) all of those things. You can't Um, see my face right now. I know you all can't see my face, but... Yeah. Was there a look of disgust when I mentioned the solo speaker? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I mean, I've seen it because I've experienced it before. That's the worst part. Yes. That's no judgment. Part. No judgment. All right. So when we uh, get into this, we're going to cover all sorts of things. We're going to talk about some turntables. We're going to talk about the modern world of music streaming. We're going to talk about CD players. And yes, people still listen to CDs. We're going to talk about cables, which I know is going to get a lot of people's feathers all ruffled up, which is fantastic. Yes, Um, you're going to be mad. (laughs) And we're going to talk about preamps. (laughs) We're going to talk about amplifiers, monoblocks. But what we are not going to do is essentially review or call out a specific brand or design a system, really. And the reason for this is the fun part about designing a stereo system is the fact that you get to mix and match. You get to choose, you get to decide, you get to do whatever it is that sounds good to you and do what your ear likes. And so this is kind of the whole ethos. It's the ultimate self-gratification. It's the ultimate form of (laughs) me-centered and selfish focus in, in a sense. Because it's all about the things that you like. And if you don't like it, then it's a bad idea. It's really, really, really that simple. Yeah. And that, I mean, I mean, that being said, you know, if you are looking for some recommendations, feel free to talk to any of us about it. I mean, Dan and I specifically have two different ears and have two different sets of speakers in our home because of the way that we like to listen to things. So, yeah, this is truly about what you like, not about what we're going to tell you is the best. You know, we mentioned, I think, in an episode earlier, it's like we picked what the client wanted because this is the ethos. So that mm-hmm. being said, there are lots of parts. There are lots of pieces. Uh, to start with, uh, could you tell me a little bit about turntables? It's a good place to start. Just to be as transparent as possible, that was the first thing that I wanted to learn about when I got into the custom side of this industry. And I went out and I bought one bought one of the the more you know highly rated but affordable options that were out there to be honest it's my favorite way to truly listen to music 
as long as it's the correct record. Um, we can get to that in a minute. But uh, essentially, a turntable, you have thousands of them out there. I mean, we probably sell... At least 1,500. <laughs> <laughs> Several of our manufacturers make multiple options, right? Essentially, a turntable is made up of a couple of parts, and as you go from the entry level to the top tier, those couple of pieces change. So you have the plinth itself that everything sits on, which is, we'll call it like the piece of wood that the turntable itself is on, or MDF. You have the platter, which is what the record plays on, and then you have typically the stylus or or cartridge is what you'll hear it referred to. And essentially, as you go up and down in performance, those typically get better, have better materials, better cartridge, things like that. But it gives you the most realistic, in my opinion, sound that you can get. It's a warmer tone. It's a more natural sound. And again, as long as it's the correct album. And what I mean by that is if you go out to any store nowadays, you can find any record that you want. A lot of them are re-releases, so what you want to be careful about is what type of record is it? Is it the original pressing? Is it a digital pressing? You know, is it a 180 gram or more vinyl versus you know a cheaper option? Um, so if you're really going to get into this two-channel stuff that we are talking about today, that's stuff you want to look for. But in my opinion, there's nothing better than sitting down on an evening, pouring your favorite beverage of whatever it is, and putting on an album and listening to it straight through. There's no skipping. You know, you don't get up and move around. You don't go to the next track. You listen to the album front to back. But it creates an experience that, in my opinion, is really unmatched next to watching a movie. And that's just because I really like movies. I couldn't agree more. The idea of just sitting down and putting on a record and letting your mind slow down and just relax and to be able to get to that place of zen and comfort and relaxation, it, it is absolutely fantastic. And I think we need a lot more of it nowadays, quite honestly, with as busy as we are. Everybody's working 150 hours a week, and we're always on the go, and we're always... Mm -hmm. And what do we all intuitively know that we need to slow down? And we need to stop yep. and smell the roses. We need to stop and put on a record and enjoy it. And mm -hmm. to your point, you know, if you enjoy a beverage, knock yourself out, man. Like, have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> the technical part of why a record is so unique, and I learned it in, in school, is they talked about the fact that a record is a mechanical process. It's a physical piece of gear that does mm -hmm. a mechanical uh, form of technology. And that's one of the things that I think is so amazing. And I had this conversation with a client not too long ago which is that as you upgrade your turntable, you improve your audio quality, but you end up spending a lot more money. And it can get insane. If you look at some of the VPI turntables, you know, you can spend what most people would spend on a house. And you're sitting there scratching your head going like, <laughs> how do you spend $200,000 on a turntable, right? And you look at this thing and you're scratching your head going, well, but if you get a greater mechanical process, Right, Just like upgrading an engine in a car. You're going to find the performance responds to the way that uh, you've upgraded that physical component. And so you're 100% right. The plinth, right? the, the, the square base that they'll sit on, the platter, the circular disc that the record actually sits on. Uh, if it's belt-driven, is that isolated? 
So there's a little motor that spins when you do a turntable. That little motor can be attached or it can be separated out. The tone arm is another one where that's going to be that arm that actually holds that cartridge. All of those pieces you can upgrade. All of those pieces have an effect on the sound. Every single tiny piece of it. And so the greatest part to me is that you get what you pay for. You buy a cheap Mm -hmm. turntable, you get cheap sound. And it's not the turntable's fault. (laughs) It's the physical thing that you bought. And you buy a really high-end expensive turntable, you get an amazing sound. Well, why? Because you get what you pay for. Yep. Yep. As long as you're not trying to listen to the vinyl records that you've kept since 1975 and they've been scratched (laughs) up a lot, they will play back those scratches. So you might need to upgrade some vinyl too, depending on how old your uh, collection is. That's fair. But you know what? There are some folks that like the clicks. They like the pops. If you have an original Beatles pressing and it's still in pretty decent shape, you know, let's pull it out. (laughs) Yes. And invite me over. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, (laughs) that being said, it does require a time commitment, an evening or a dedicated amount of time. And we don't always have that. Maybe talk to me a little bit about streaming music, what we do now in the more modern era. I mean, obviously streaming is the name of the game in a lot of uh, entertainment sectors nowadays. With music, it's it's the ultimate convenience, right? I can literally pull up my phone and I can search pretty much any artist, whether you know them or maybe even some that you don't. I mean, some of the playlists that these apps create, uh, there's artists that are popping up that I've never even heard of before. So it's a great, in my opinion, a great way to find new music. And the quality of sound has gotten substantially better through a lot of these streaming services through devices that are designed to hook up to these systems. So, you know, it's not like playing Bluetooth from your phone, although that typically is a way that some folks get their content. A lot of these higher-end systems will utilize a better quality dedicated streaming device that will utilize Wi-Fi versus Bluetooth because it's just going to be a uh, a device that's going to allow for more bandwidth for that content to come through. And then some of your more premium devices out there will be CD quality or higher in playback. Yeah. Um, which is which is awesome. But again, the convenience factor being able to pull up any artist on earth and listen to them at, you know, CD quality or high res, you know, above CD quality is a game changer. Even, you know, compared to 10 years ago when you and I first got into this kind of thing and they're really they're streaming, but it was mainly like, "Hey, let me plug my iPod in and there's this awkward iPod dock and you were playing an MP3. <laughs> now it's now it's uh, you know, it's high res in a lot of cases." So I want to define uh, for our listeners, we've used two terms. One is high res, the other is CD quality. And because it's a technical podcast, I just want to take 20 seconds on it. MP3s are a squashed quality. That's the best way to describe it. They were originally invented with an algorithm that used what they called psychoacoustics. And they would essentially scoop out portions of the sound. And they would attack drum hits, bass guitars, cymbals, uh, big impactful moments, anything that had a lot of information from a digital perspective, anything that had lots and lots of bits and bytes, they would just start scooping them away saying, well, you know, the average person will never hear the difference. And you know what? If you listen on a pair of uh, uh, Apple uh, AirPods or or some of the others, uh, you know what? That might be... That might be true. You may not be hearing a dramatic difference. Most people are going to listen to this podcast in an MP3 format. Like it's going to sound okay for for all intents and purposes. 
but it doesn't sound good and it certainly doesn't sound great and so if we can get to that cd quality right and this is why quite frankly people still listen to cds you're going to get 70 percent more information out of a cd than you would out of an mp3 and even though it's an older technology we have this idea about technology right that's always advancing and always evolving and always getting better and better and better and cheaper and faster and and there's an element to that that happens but this is a technology and audio is this classic holdout where that's not the case actually some of the older technologies right going back to the turntable are better (laughs) than what we have today so you have to kind of check your ego at the door a little bit and say Maybe there was a good way to do this. And uh, it's not like it aged bourbon that takes more time to develop. It's actually just saying this was a really good year for wine. That year they did a really good thing, and we should go back and get that. And then high res is better than CD quality. And you're sitting there saying, like, well, how is that possible? Well, we get closer to that infinite mechanical process that was available on the turntable. So this means that there is no compression. We don't have digital conversion. You're not taking an analog signal and converting it into ones and zeros. You don't have voltage points. You don't have, like, all that stuff just goes right out the window. So we're off to the races with uncompressed audio. And so as uh, you introduce more bytes, as you introduce uh, more bits, as you introduce more data, you get a more accurate and detailed sound. And the other part about streaming that I was kind of getting to at the end, compared to a turntable, while it is convenient, it does kind of take away that magic, in my opinion. You know, it is nice. We use it a lot for demoing, but even at my own home, like, I rarely sit down and stream a full album because my mind goes to a different spot. Oh, I can now look up this. Oh, hey, remember that song you listened to from the Mighty Ducks movies back in the day? Hey, why don't you see if that's on there? Hey, like, uh, all joking aside, like, it's just not, it doesn't always provide for the best, hey, sit down and have an experience. So that's kind of why we lean towards, at least here, I lean towards a turntable. Absolutely. And listen, I love the Mighty Ducks. They're fantastic. (laughs) Me too. Best sports movies of all time. Uh, We can go flying the anytime, Mark. (laughs) Go get your rollerblades. Yep. I'll meet you, Mark. Let's say that you have a CD player or a streaming device or a turntable, you have to hook that up to something. And what is the thing that you hook it up to? And what do you use to hook them together? I'll let you talk about the cables part. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Under the bus. Uh, yep. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, um, well, I did it last time in our, well, one of our things are what we're going to do. Um, so, Obviously, you've got to have speakers, right? And what do you need for your speakers in order to make sound? You need something that's going to amplify them. You also need something that's going to take in those signals. So we're going to need, in a more premium system, a preamp. Got it. So that is the device that's going to take in the signals and either distribute them to an amplifier that's built in, which we would call an integrated amp, or distribute the signal out to separate or to separate amplifiers, whether that's a mono amplifier, like two mono blocks, if you've got some serious sound, uh, some serious power, you know, or a two channel amplifier. Or if you're doing multi-channel, they have those too. 
And that just means a mono block means one amplifier for one speaker. A yep. stereo amplifier means two amplifiers for two speakers, but it's in one box. In one and, box, yep. Yep. And if it's a multi-channel amplifier, like a four or a five or a seven, then all the amps are built into one box, and that goes to four or five or seven or however many speakers you're going to hook up to it, right? Exactly. And just in context, the uh, the monoblocks, single amplifiers, you typically can gain a substantial amount more power capabilities compared to a seven-channel, multi-channel amplifier because you've got to fit multiple amps into one box, and you can't have it be 10 feet tall and 8 feet wide and six feet deep because nobody has room for that right because you said that we are going yep. to find a six foot tall amplifier <laughs> there was there they exist they exist <laughs> I, I believe it i believe it wasn't that what well, it wasn't six foot tall but there was like that uh project one of our a colleague of ours did it somewhere around the country and it was they used the audio research amps that were like half the height of the Sonus Faber Aidas that they had that they installed. And yes. I mean that had to be at least four feet tall. Not six feet, but four feet. Well, if you uh, check out some of these, there are some amazing the Pavetta Opera uh, for a paltry two point two million dollars. I'll write a check. We'll use the podcast account for that. Is no. that cool? <laughs> we'll expense it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Your preamp, you connect to that, and, and those inputs are either going to be digital or analog. So can be an optical, digital coax, or analog RCA. The way you connect those is going to be dependent on the quality of the devices you're connecting. And that's kind of where Dan and I, over the past several years, probably spent a lot of our downtime when we would have to work in our location, is just messing around with... What does this the DAC in this device sound like compared to the DAC in the preamp? And for those of you who don't know, DAC is a digital to analog conversion. And we would literally just compare, like we'd plug in a streaming box to the preamp via optical and essentially use the, the digital to analog converter in the preamp. And then we'd unplug the optical and we'd plug you know, RCA from the streamer directly into the preamp is essentially use the digital analog conversion in the, uh, the streamer just to hear the difference between those DACs. And that, that's what your cables are going to come into, right? Uh, each individual component has its own sonic signature or timbre is the, the word that's actually probably the most accurate. It's the tone or the sound of the gear. If you listen to a Bose speaker, no matter where you are in the world and what version of Bose speaker it is, it could be big, it could be small, it could be portable, it could be headphones. It sounds like a Bose. They have a kind of a profile of sound that they're going to make. And all audio manufacturers have this. And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a Macintosh. You could be a Rust Sound. You could be a Sonance. You could be a Kef. You could be a Bowers and Wilkins. In fact, it doesn't matter what type of audio gear you have. On the pro side, you could be an Apogee, or you could be a Behringer, or you could be a Sony, or you could be a... <laughs> no, seriously, like everything right. has its own sound because audio is, again, going back to it, mechanically based. So if you change the physical component, you've changed the way that it's going to sound. Now, it may not have a dramatic impact in one sense, because you're going to say, well, that's a very small variation. It might only be a 5% difference in the sound. 
Or it might be a 2% difference in the sound, or it might be a 30% difference in the sound. But the point is that when you start adding a 5% difference in one component, and then 10% from this component, and then 20% from that component, well, now you have a 35% difference in sound. And so this is where cables, quite honestly, are going to show up as making a difference. And some people are gonna listen to it and say, man, I can't hear any difference between this thing and that thing. And that's because it may only introduce a five or a 10% difference in the quality of your sound or in the change of your sound. But at the same time, if you're going to look at having a sensitive high-end stereo system that is capable of reproducing accurately what's being fed into it, then guess what? You're gonna hear the difference in digital to analog converters. You're gonna hear the difference between this brand and that brand. And that also means that you can hear the difference between what wire you're going to use. So I have this thing I say to everybody, buying cables is like buying tires for your car. I would never put $5,000 tires on a Honda Civic. I don't care how nice your Civic is. You're not gonna spend five grand in tires. <laughs> Like, it's just not going to happen. And that's fine. But you would also never spend $500 on tires for your Ferrari. Doesn't make sense. You have to match the tire appropriate to the vehicle of your choice. So cables work in exactly the same way. And I know what everyone's going to say. Oh, they're snake oil. Oh, they're this. Oh, we've heard all the arguments. And you know what? I don't fight with people over cables anymore. And I'm not here to convince you that it makes a difference. But I am going to say that if you listen seriously to what the sound is and you care about what the sound is going to be, then cables should be part of your conversation. And if you're looking at this from a purely functional perspective, guess what? Cables don't need to be part of your conversation. You just want to put a TV up, don't buy a $500 cable. doesn't make a difference. It will not. But if you spend 50 grand on a stereo, and this is a passion, a hobby, I guarantee you, you will spend at least $500 on cables just because you don't want to put garbage into your system. I love the way you put it. I mean, we're not here to change your mind from a completely functional standpoint. You know, you want to get something up and running? You want to use lamp cord? Okay. You know, it, is it metal? Does it carry signal? Okay, cool. Just from my perspective, and I am not somebody who owns $40,000 speaker wire, you get out of your system what you put into it. And if you're looking at getting the best sound, like Dan was saying, cables need to be a part of that conversation. I will say this, I have in my main listening area, a, a pretty decent pair of speakers. Uh, it's a surround sound system though. And I have separate amplifiers that are powering those speakers about 150 watts a channel, close to 200. I prefer listening to music in my office here because I have a dedicated just two channel space where I can control all the other noise from the components that are connected, you know, in that AV system downstairs, I have multiple video sources, a couple of different audio sources. And I actually move my turntable to my office when I really want to sit down and listen to a record now, because it's just less things in line in the system to add noise to my space. And I can control the amount of connections and I have better wire in that space. It is actually less power. It's half the amount of power compared to what I have downstairs, but the speakers are also a little smaller too. So I don't necessarily 
need that power, although these kefs will will take it. Not to throw out a brand name, but that's what I have in here. So, <laughs> it's fine. I just happen to look over at them. I have a, a set in my office as well, and uh, <clears throat> they do a very nice job. And I do have good wire. I don't have the best wire, but I have nice AudioQuest wire. It's 14 gauge. It does a phenomenal job. And I think that's that's part of the the point here. And you brought up an interesting idea there, which is you related the size of the speaker and the amount of power and said that you prefer listening on a less powerful system with a smaller speaker. And I think that's going to be counterintuitive to the way that most people probably think about sound, right? You go to a mm-hmm. concert and you see these massive rigs, you see these giant line arrays, you know, from Martin and some of these others, and you're going, all right, that's a $150,000 stereo system. That's got to be better. And the answer is actually, it's not always better. There's this idea that I was recently introduced to, and uh, it's the guys actually from Rel Subwoofers that did this at a demo. Better sound kind of tops out at a certain point in terms of being accurate. So just knowing what the sound itself sounds like. You hear Ella Fitzgerald sing something, it sounds like Ella Fitzgerald. Great, we're done. That sounds like Michael Jackson. That sounds like the Beatles. That sounds like Hans Zimmer doing a recording for a movie. So you hear what's going on. Then the second element to this is the size of the sound. How big is Ella Fitzgerald represented in your space? How tall is she? How expansive is that orchestra? How much depth is there to the sound? And so it's not just about creating an accurate sound. In an office, a very reasonably priced set of speakers, okay, you can listen to studio monitors. They don't have to cost $10,000 a piece in order to sound good. You can get great sound for $2,200, right? $2,500, $1,500, $600. Like, you don't have to spend a million dollars to get to a really nice set of speakers. You do, however, need to spend money to improve the size, to improve the depth, to improve that immersion that you're going to get from that sound. But if you don't understand what type of sound you're trying to design, not to plug the show name there, (laughs) (laughs) then you aren't going to have a good design. So you're trying to think about that. Like, I want to design an experience just like a chef. How much salt? How much pepper? How much sweet, how much sour, how much spice. You got to balance those things. And when as you bring them all together, you start saying, oh, that's what we're doing. We're getting it the way we want it. We've not really talked about budget until now, but a lot of times when we're designing a system, we kind of take the the budget and we split it up to make sure we kind of build that perfect system based on the client's needs, right? So if you come at us and you say, hey, I want... I've got 10 grand. Well, I know immediately we need to be looking at a $3,000 pair of of speakers. I need to probably be looking at around $3,000 in amplification. And then the other three grand is going to be on my sources and cables and anything else that I need, right? Because that's going to give me a well-rounded system. Now, that being said, is that what always happens? No. Sometimes people say, hey, I want the $30,000 speakers and I'll buy the $4,000 amplifier knowing that they're going to upgrade later, which is a great way to do it too. So, and by no means is it the only way to do it, but 
if you're really starting to get out again into stereo or you want that great music listening experience to start out with, that's a good rule of thumb. That's going to get you a great, well-rounded experience. Uh, no matter what your budget, I said 10 grand, I could have said two grand. Now, obviously it's all going to be relative to your budget and you know, are you going to get $30,000 worth of sound out of a $2,000 budget? No, but are you going to get good? Can you get good sound if you design it properly? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. And I think that that's probably one of the best rules of thumb that I've heard. It's 30, 30, 30, right? And it doesn't equal 100. And that's exactly the point is that it's a guiding principle. It's a rule of thumb. It's not a you have to do it this way in order to achieve the results that you want. And so if you want to cheat your budget this direction or that direction because you like the audio performance of a particular component, then do it. I like those speakers. And I'd rather cheat a little bit in wire to get to that level of speaker because I think it has more of an impact. Or conversely, I'd rather cheat down a little bit in amp and go up a little bit in cable to lower that noise floor because we're going to listen directly at a desktop in my office. And guess what? Those better wires are going to lower that noise floor. And you can play that game until the cows come home. I mean, <laughs> there is, <laughs> it is literally an infinite game and there's no wrong answer. What you like is what you like. Going back to the very beginning, it's all about what your ear likes. We've kind of brushed over a little bit, but one of the big things that I think is pretty important and I'm sure you're going to agree is what all this stuff's plugging into before it plugs into the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. Some sort of power filtration, linear filtration, with surge protection is, is very important. And again, just like everything else we've talked about, there's entry level and there's ultra high end, right? You know, there's a eight, a $500, you know, linear filtration surge protector. And then there's a $12,000 one that you can buy. And all of them are going to do exactly what Dan was just saying in regard to some of the other things is that it's going to lower that noise floor ultimately between the, the things that you hear. So uh, I know one of the demos that I always did was a Michael Bublé track. And at the beginning he's snapping, right? Yep. The, the lower that noise floor, the more it sounds like he's in the room with me because I hear less of the noise in between of those snap in between those snaps, if that makes sense. And that's what my ear likes. And I would describe it this way. If anyone's listened to an old record, and I mean like a recording from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you'll turn it on immediately. And it kind of sounds like this. And <laughs> that's the worst audio demo I've ever done into a microphone. And I apologize. Yep. It was actually perfect, to be honest, hearing through Zoom on this side. <laughs> well, we're going to leave it all in there and we're going to hope and pray that it's correct. But you've heard that sound. You've heard that yep. sound. It's, yep. It, well, what was causing the recording back then to be different than it is today in 2023? Well, as you improve your physical material, you in turn lower the noise floor or the distortion that the gear itself is going to introduce. And so it's this weird idea where you say, how can the gear I listen to be hurting the thing that I listen to? It's it's kind of mind blowing. You're like that, but that's what it does. It's a speaker. It's supposed to make the noise, and you go, I understand that, but the gear itself is a problem because it's getting in the way of the signal that it's trying to reproduce. 
And I think it was John Bowers who said it. He goes, like, the best speaker is not the one that gives the most, but the one that takes away the least. And what is he referring to? Like, we need to get out of the way of the sound. Let it be what it is. If you're listening to Elvis, let Elvis be listening. Let let him be in the room. If you're listening to Peaches and Cream, let those guys be in the room. <laughs> right? Uh, it, it doesn't matter what you listen to. Everybody wants to hear that artist. They want to make the connection with their music. They want to feel good as they enjoy listening. And some people like to listen while they work. Some people like to sit down and focus. It doesn't matter. The point is your gear shouldn't be the problem. The gear should let you make that connection. Very well said. Very well said. Let's do surprise tech. Excellent. Surprise tech. Being in this industry, as long as we have, like, you don't get excited about TVs that often. Uh, If you're familiar with OLED technology in televisions, um, LG has a couple of different options. And I'm personally been looking at like a a C or G3 model because, you know, I, I feel like I have to stay up to date in technology every couple of years. But while looking at the G3, I noticed there was an M3 also on our website. And I'm like, hmm. What is this M technology, this M3? What is an M3? Yeah, so the M3 is essentially a G3 with no actual physical connections on the back of the television for sources. It comes with a device. Yes, yes. It it comes with a device called the Zero Connect box. That is very goofy sounding. It is because we have Samsung with one connect, right? It's a Zero Connect box and it... It, the reason it's called that is that it plugs into the wall and you plug into your your HDMIs and your other sources into the Zero Connect box and it wirelessly syncs to the display. The display still needs power, so if you're mounting it to the wall, and the, the idea of the G series and the M series is that it's as thin as your phone. I mean, it, it literally sits flush to the wall. It's razor thin, but it still needs a power outlet. That's correct. The problem that we've run into, honestly, with a couple of G with the G installs is that you still need a back box to hold your stuff behind it, or even for power in some cases, because even a recessed outlet, the plug might not fit in right, or it might push the TV off just a little bit. So it, it's hard to get it flush because when you're trying to connect cables or something to it. So this one, yes, you still got to have the power, but once you have the power, that's it. You plug everything else into your Zero Connect box, and it wirelessly syncs to the, the display. I have to ask. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I think we're going to get the same point, but go ahead. Frame rate and specifically, is it 120 hertz and all that other kind it, of stuff? It is, it is the same performance as the G series, which is LG's flagship OLED. Uh, so it's 120 hertz refresh rate. It is a uh, if you're a gamer, it is it does have G Sync, all of those fancy things. So there's supposed to be a less than a few millisecond response time if you're going to play games on it. That's where I was a little skeptical. What I was going to get to a, a second ago. I'm really curious if we're going to get one of these on display to where we can test it out. It comes in only their larger sizes. I believe it was 65, 77, 83, and 97. Um, really? Yes, 97? Sorry, 77, 83, and 97 inches this television is available in. That'll set you back a cool 30 grand. 
Woo! I love it. The the smaller anything the eighty three and the seventy seven are within a few well two grand more for the eighty three and the seventy seven I want to say it was within a few with like a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks so I'm I'm curious again how it's gonna work out I'd love to see one in person and be able to test it out myself but it's it's definitely a cool idea for display technology and kind of gives you a little bit more flexibility especially if you're going for a certain look, but you don't want to necessarily have to run a bunch of cables. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the unsaid point of this whole thing, which is you are getting a technology that's aesthetically driven. The whole Mm -hmm. point of this is that we can't run wire, and that's why we're doing it, or we want to hide all of our equipment away in a cabinet, in a stand, uh, somewhere where it cannot be seen. Uh, because it doesn't match the aesthetic of the home. And so uh, I just think it's, again, it goes back to this idea of design with the aesthetic in mind. Um, your technology should fit within your space and work with your home. And uh, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think it's going to be fantastic, to be quite honest. And I think we're going to do a ton of them. And I think they're going to be, especially for some of those more tricky installations, if it's consistent and in the and it's executed well, I see no reason for us not to do a ton of them. I agree. I agree. And it's see if there was any type of like proprietary technology. It doesn't look like it does it over Wi-Fi. So it's like a direct signal. So my hope would be, again, if they've tested all of these things and they were able to certify it with all that stuff, then yeah, zero latency or pretty, pretty close to zero latency. So yeah, again, uh, if we do get a chance to try it out, I'll make sure to bring it up on a future podcast. I would love to hear about all of that. So I have uh, from a company called 2N. Uh, something that I've found called the IP Verso fingerprint reader. Okay. I've got to look this up <laughs> while you're talking about it. Uh, we have all seen in the movies these very fancy, very high tech, very secure CIA buildings on TV shows. And what happens when you get to the highest level of security is you need a fingerprint scanner in order to get into the room. And I'm imagining Mission Impossible in this exact moment, but I mean, we've seen it a million times. (laughs) I've not seen this technology available outside of uh, commercial and government spaces, and uh, I finally found it through Savant, through 2N, and so this is part of an access control system that you can get where we have this little module, and it's probably, let's call it, you know, four to five inches, a little square that you can attach to a... A door cam, which is, uh, or door station, I should say. It's where you attach it to a door station. It's a kind of a lower level module. So if you have a place where you want to have the absolute best security, then uh, we can put this uh, next to it. So there's a camera on it, there's a microphone on it, and of course your thumbprint or fingerprint scanner. Not inexpensive, but if you need it, it's there. <laughs> okay, okay. So wait a minute. I'm looking at this thing. These look like the Savant door stations. Is that cr- so? You're, it just fits into the bottom module instead of putting the keypad. And so there's an optical sensor. It is you know weather resistant, and it has a pretty large uh, sensor on it. There's a little LED there, so you can see. I, I see mean, that. it's 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 unbelievably cool. It is unbelievably cool. I have nothing worth protecting, to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> at this level, <laughs> I know that sounds terrible. This thing is like 
absolutely amazing. And so I really want to do a project with one of these. If my wife is listening, I've already ordered one at this point. So <laughs> that's we awesome. have nowhere to put it, but you know, <laughs> but, but it's have on no order. need. Yep. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. That's awesome. All right. Well, this has been the sound of design with Mark and Dan. And uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Be on the lookout. We've got some changes coming up to the show in uh, the next month or so. Um, It might be two months by the time we're able to roll it out, but we've got some cool things uh, in the works. Uh, So please be on the lookout for that. Um, Like, comment, subscribe. We'd love to hear the feedback. It really does uh, help us to tailor the show to what it is that you guys want to hear. Reach out to us on uh, thesoundofdesign.com, LinkedIn, whatever it is that you guys are using, Instagram, Facebook, doesn't matter. Uh, all the social medias and uh, we'll see you on the next episode see ya